0: about anything too personal hey what's (laughs) up everybody welcome back to bible and banter we have uh the long-awaited episode where luke is making his comeback he is returning to the show after a is it a was it a four-week hiatus maybe five or six-week hiatus i've been gone from the show for six weeks wow man time flies when luke's gone when you're having fun (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah Mike's been killing it every single week man so um yeah we've been we've been praying for you we've been talking about you mostly all negative
1: but um <laughs> glad to have you back man just in case I forgot the tone of this show I'm glad that you baptized me with fire in these first 60 <laughs> seconds <laughs> hey uh, i uh you know I, I've had a couple of people
0: mention like, oh I really don't like the tone. Of that you guys have, and I'm like, hey, that's <laughs> cool, man. Like, we we're not for everybody. Yeah. Um, this is really just two guys who like to give each other the business, and that's uh-huh. what we do on the show. Intoxin Jesus,
1: yeah. So look, that's I, what we're doing. I, I think it's okay if there are some people who don't like Bible and banter. In fact, I would say this, and I mean this sincerely. If you listen to our show and you like the content but not the tone, you should start your own. And I really mean that. I think more yeah. I think more more um uh Christian leaders should um get in the business of producing content, you know, because it's so easy to do these days. Why not? Yeah. I was actually I I read an article last year um during the
0: pandemic because they were talking about some of the things that might come out of the pandemic uh for the church. And they were saying that pastors are gonna uh quickly become, especially because more and more young pastors are coming into uh, the role into the calling that we're so used to content creation that that's mm-hmm. what's going to be, that's going to be a term that's going to be more familiar within the church. So this is, I guess would fall into that. You know, we are for better or for worse content creators. Uh,
1: now, Eric, how, weird. how long have I known you? Has it been three years now coming up on? Nah, three years? It
0: can't be that long. Maybe two, two years.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, because I because I I met you at that um at Camp Dixie two years ago, yeah. so I've somehow never asked you this question. What are your tattoos? Get, what are my tattoos? Yes. What which um, what tattoos do
0: you have? So I got uh, I got my first tattoos right here. Actually, I got this one when I was eighteen. Um, so this was right before I went to the army. Uh, it's just an eagle that says USA on it. Classy, uh, and then uh, this one is uh, I got it. In fact, in memory of a friend who who died. Um, so it's a World War ii era soldier with some angel wings on the on uh, on him and a cross on top, mm-hmm. carrying American flag. Mm-hmm. And then I have, I think this was my next one. So it just sit. I'm trying to get it in front of the camera. It says "Land of the Free, Home of the Brave." Okay. And then I have these skulls that I can't really show you because it's on my forearm. So okay,
1: dude, this I'm, is hard,
0: man. I don't. I'm struggling. I'm on the struggle bus, man. I'm, I'm uh, so happy I asked you to do this. <laughs> so, so I got three skulls. It's the hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. Um, okay. So, we're all so I got these, some pagan. I got some pagan stuff in there. I got some American stuff in there. I don't have any Jesus stuff yet. We're uh, all we'll these
1: see. pre-conversion.
0: Uh not pre conversion, but maybe pre like pre like really walking with the Lord. Okay. But um yeah. So yeah, yeah. But I I I, I'm nothing I have nothing against Christians getting tattoos, man. I'm all about tatting it up.
1: Get all the tattoos you you want. You did an episode on this early on, um Mm -hmm. with Tommy. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I don't think it was with Tommy, was it?
1: Yeah, <laughs> tattoo, tattoo Tommy. Tattoo Tommy so, <laughs> for
0: those of you who don't know, and I hope he's watching, so he can he can message me if he is. But um, yeah, I give Tom a lo- a rash of you know what, man, because he wrote an article for the Witness, which is our denominational like periodical, and he wrote it was supposed to be like a, like half the article about why you should and then why you shouldn't do something. And essentially I read it and it was right around the AC leaders conference a couple of years ago. And that whole conference, there were so many people that were around him, giving him a, a, a low, uh, the businessman giving him a hard time because he pretty much came across as legalist and hitting tattoos. And I was like, why do you hate oh, me, man?
1: You know what? We've actually not done an episode on this. I just remember you giving Tom a rash of uh uh You just gave him a whole lot of grief on the show. So maybe, maybe one of these days we got to do a show on tattoos. Uh, Angela, yeah, Angela, thank you for for the welcome back. It's good to be back. And I'm excited to engage with our audience. I really missed the robust discussions we have with people on, on the show. Yeah.
0: Now I don't want to portray Tom as one hating tattoos. I actually, I guess I do want to portray that, but, uh, in (laughs) actuality, um, uh tong does not think that christians can't or should not get tattoos and i think there's like a good case to not get tattoos because it could be a waste of money so you know it could be a stewardship thing that's fine but you're certainly not going to get uh, unless there's one obscure passage in the old testament that says not to cut up your skin or whatnot but it's you have to really bend it to say that people shouldn't uh shouldn't get
1: Yeah, times. yeah, those obscure old past you know, Old Testament laws, we don't those don't have any use for us today, of course. Uh, oh, they have yeah. a ton of use. No, Luke, this is Bible and banter.
0: Um, don't just, misportray or misapply the scripture. I just want This
1: wanted to, is the no-spin zone. I just wanted to see you blow up. I haven't been able to do that for a few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, obviously, all scripture is God-breathed and useful, Old and New Testament. Uh I, I was going to say though a uh, quick shout out to Tom Tattoo Tommy, who runs Advent Christian Voices, uh, which mm-hmm. is the platform on which we have this podcast. So uh, we haven't we haven't mentioned him in a while, but thank you to Tom. He's sort of the grandfather of the show.
0: Mm-hmm. The grandfather.
1: He's he's you're younger fa- than he's younger than me. Well, you're the father of the show, and he preceded you. So oh, I feel I feel
0: like there's a theological joke in there. But uh, but I'm having tr- I'm not I'm not hitting on all cylinders. I'm still <laughs> awestruck with that we have you back on the show.
1: It's true. Yeah, my my uh, face shines as the one who went up the mountain, something like that. Speaking of Old Testament, <laughs> it's hard to even look at you right now. Talking <laughs> about hard to look at. Did you
0: see the picture that I posted uh, as as like the thumbnail for the for today's show? No, no, I didn't. Oh go my goodness. It it's going it's going to I stole a picture I downloaded a picture of you on Facebook of you playing guitar like behind or in front of a fence. Yeah. Um and and your wife uh the the lovely Lindsay commented and said um you were so scrawny. And I wanted to say is that a fat joke? But I decided not to say that in writing. I just forgot
1: to say it. Instead, you're just going to say it live on the show. Yeah. <laughs> uh and the answer is Maybe, maybe it's a bad joke. Uh, Wes said, oh gosh, we, we can't get into the tattoo stuff today. We need to move on. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We need
0: to do a tattoo episode though. We do. Now, now, now here's the struggle, right? So we have all of these things that we want to talk about. And like three weeks ago, we promised that we'd start going through the book of Philippians <laughs> and like starting. <laughs> and like, and I think you were, you were super on board with that. Mike was super on board with it. So we're like, oh yeah, let's do like every other week. And now we have all of these topics that we want to talk about.
1: Yeah let's see what this summer looks like. Uh, this time of the year is crazy in pastoral ministry. Sometimes in the summer it gets crazier. Sometimes it slows down. I would be willing uh, a couple weeks into summer, depending on how things are going, to discuss a couple twice-a-week weeks. Well, we can talk about that.
0: No, no. no. You mean going back to doing
1: shows not, twice a week? Not permanently. Just Oh, if goodness, some, if goodness gracious. I don't have time. I can't do it. No no, just... no, 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 no. I'm not talking about going back. I'm glad we're two the once a week. I'm just saying if the, if the queue gets a little full, we mm-hmm. can throw in, pop in a little bonus episode once or twice this summer. If we have. Ooh,
0: bonus episodes. I like it. I like yeah. bonus episodes. Yeah,
1: I'm not talking about going back permanently. I'm just saying throw, throw a couple out there if we need to.
0: Yeah. I could talk about tattoos all day, though. I well,
1: want to get sleeves. I want to get some hand tats, too. So, uh, yeah. Let's yeah. let's uh, stick with what we're going to talk about today. What is on the docket for this afternoon, Mr. Eric? I've totally forgotten now because you got me all excited. <laughs> one, number one, uh, something okay. that no one else will care about, but I and my oh excuse me, um, but I and right. my family were very excited about. I don't have tons of positive things to say about our our current president, but I'm going to give him some credit. Uh, Joe Biden formally acknowledge the Armenian genocide of 1915 and let me explain two things so that you know why i care about this at all first first off first off we can all
0: acknowledge acknowledge that system of a down is the greatest Armenian band of all time
1: (laughs) right since they're the only Armenian band of which i'm aware i have to agree (laughs) but Uh, didn't i tell you that they were Armenian like you didn't even know i I know your
0: heritage better than you do
1: Okay, if System of a Down is your idea of Armenian heritage, you need an education, my friend. I need to introduce you to... Were, have you, you, ever rocking, had, were, you, were you rocking System of a Down back in the day? No, I don't even like the band. Uh, do you? Have you ever had baklava? Yes. Okay. Is, so, isn't that Greek, though? The Greeks like to take credit for a lot of Armenian cuisine, okay? Uh, don't get me started on that. Uh, the Technically, yeah, it's originally Greek, but... We call <laughs> <laughs> that's cultural appropriation <laughs> yeah but if we do it better then we get credit for it so oh my uh, goodness anyway does your family make baklava no no so i don't have it's it's interesting when my family lived up north we we would see my dad's side of the family really regularly and now that we moved south i very rarely ever see them so when i was a kid i can remember going to family get togethers and there'd be Armenian food and we would do Armenian dances. And I had these old Armenian uncles who would sit around and uh, complain about the fact that the Armenian genocide had never been formally recognized. And Mm. now I I still talk to my grandma and maybe like an uncle now and then, but that, that family connection has sort of. um, Now we're going to differentiate between
0: Armenians and Armenians. We do. So Armenians are a cultural group. (laughs) <laughs> there yes. is an ethnicity, right? So, and then you have the Armenians, which is a theological
1: position. That yes, Armenia is a country sandwiched right in between the Middle East and South uh, yeah, Southeast Europe. And Armenian is a theological position uh, couched just in between Orthodoxy and Pelagianism. Uh, so there are some similarities, but they are different. And I'm sure the Armenians, the, the Armenians who heard that will give me grief for it later. It was in jest. Uh, but why, okay, why do I care? So I've already explained the first reason why. Uh, it, my family is Armenian, at least half of it. Um, my great grandmother actually fled the Armenian genocide. She was a very, very young girl and um, she had a relative who grabbed her and her brother and fled the country as the Turkish armies were approaching. The other reason I care is this happened in 1915, and for a number of reasons, um, it was never formally recognized as a genocide by the United States. And while there are some you could we could get into all sorts of complicated reasons why that was the case i think the primary reason in my opinion was that the united states wanted to preserve its diplomatic relationship with turkey who was an important ally in that part of the world for a long time uh, and turkey may has made it very clear uh over the past hundred years that the armenian genocide was not a genocide it was the collateral damage of war um And so that uh, I can tell you, I have family members up north, uh, Armenian family members who probably threw parties this weekend because the Armenian genocide was finally formally recognized as such. And if there are any Turkish people watching, um, I love you and it's okay if you disagree with me. That's the end. That's the end of the rant.
0: Well, congratulations. I, I for one, was ecstatic to hear that because, um, you know, you and I have talked. I had, a, I had a good friend when I was in school growing up that uh, was Armenian, and, and that was the first time I'd heard about it. Uh, you're coming through again, man.
1: Who? You. Feedback. I'm to- no way. I've even yeah. got my headphones in. All right. Let me you, mute you myself for no, but I'm not. Yeah, I don't have you on. I don't have a speaker. My headphones are in. Okay. Keep talking well, while but, I fix it. Okay, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. So, um, so yeah, I had a friend that was Armenian back in high
0: school, and he would talk about the Armenian genocide all the time. And I learned, uh, I learned a lot from it. And it is tragic. Whenever something uh, as awful as a genocide happens, people being forcibly removed from their homes at gunpoint, uh, and then die along the way. Um, it's tough, especially when the country that you flee to doesn't even acknowledge it really sad. So I'm grateful. Um, even though, you know, Luke said he's not exactly the hugest fan of, of our current president, um, you know, having, having the leader of our country recognize something that should have been recognized over a hundred years ago, it's great. So, um, Kudos to President Biden on that one, and and hopefully this can give some affirmation and some encouragement to our um, Armenian brothers and sisters around the world. So, congrats, Luke. You are muted, so we can't hear you. It wouldn't be Bible and banter with Luke if he wasn't having technical difficulties, which I
1: warned him about prior to coming on the show. Can you hear me now? I can hear you. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna try this setup and see if it sticks. Hi, Josh. It is wonderful to be back on the show. Um, I'm sorry if I called you Josh and no one calls you that. I I like nicknames. So uh,
0: that's not the only news. The more important news are. I guess I don't want to say more important, but the other news is that you, Lindsay, and the family are back home from Charlotte. The baby has come home. Yes. Um. It was kind of it was it was rough there for a little bit. Yeah. But you guys, the baby's healthy, apparently?
1: Yes. Uh, I, what I'm going to do for the next two minutes is give the, give the rapid-fire summary of the last six weeks. And then if Eric or anyone in the comment section has any questions, I'll be happy to answer them. So six weeks ago yesterday, we moved down to Charlotte. And then four days after that, that next Thursday, Hazel was born via C-section. And then three days after that, so five weeks ago yesterday... She had surgery, which included the repair. Actually, repair is the wrong word. Um, the, her, the tube that connects her stomach to her small intestine was completely blocked. So they had to make an opening. While they were in there, they also found out that she had something called intestinal malrotation. So uh, a, a normal, healthy digestive system, your stomach goes to your small intestine, which then sort of weaves down. And then your large intestine loops back around. Um, Hers was all twisted up. So what they had to do was separate them on opposite sides of her body. So her small intestine is now on one side and her large intestine is on the other. Um, And it's been working great. So she had that surgery. She recovered really well. In fact, I would say that was probably the most obvious miracle of the trip was that we had several doctors who um, came by to check on her after the surgery and said they had never seen um, a recovery that quick or that smooth. So that was awesome. Uh, Then the next – so that only brings us up to like four and a half weeks ago. The next three and a half weeks were really just the process of her learning how to eat because Mm -hmm. for the first 11 days, she didn't take any food by mouth um and it was it, it was a process her learning how to do that mm. thankfully we're home she's doing really well she's eating like a champ um and and her her body is working the way it's supposed to so we're very happy praise god man um and
0: it it's interesting you know it's so you got to come home last week right yeah, well, we came home a week ago today. So the same week that your precious child came home is the same week that we as a delegate body within our denomination affirmed her yeah. dignity. Yep. Because prior to that, um, our denomination uh, deaffirmed or or uh, I don't even know the term. What's the opposite of affirm? Denied. Denied her dignity mm-hmm. um, with the previous statements on on
1: abortion and the dignity of human life. So yeah. grateful for that, man. Um, well, it was it was amazing, you know, the timing of that because I uh, because I was busy doing other things, I wasn't really even all that aware that that resolution was um, on going to be on the table. Obviously, I'm betraying the fact that I did not watch Bible and Banter for a couple <laughs> weeks because I know you guys talked about it. So, okay. we uh, forgive you? I I had some other things to take care of. But I, I, you know, that that resolution came up um, and I, I was thrilled that it passed. I'll tell a very, very quick story of before the surgery and going down to Charlotte and all that stuff, which is that when they first discovered Hazel's defect, one of the first questions that the doctor asked us was whether we were keeping the baby. And I know that's a normal medical question to ask these days, but uh, it, it, I was stunned. I was stunned by the question, and so I was very thankful um, to see that resolution pass. So, and not just pass, but I think it was like eighty-four percent it passed. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yeah, my just because my child has a birth defect that doesn't change her uh, the image of God that she and all human beings possess.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Praise God, man.
0: Well, we're thankful. We're thankful for healing and we're thankful for um, God's provision in your family and to Mm -hmm. be back. So yeah.
1: And mom's healing up well. Mom's doing great. Yeah. Uh, Everyone's doing really well. There's some, there's been some uh, speed bumps along the way, not just with Hazel, but with, uh, some of the other kids, you know, for a, a month, they they didn't see a whole lot of mom. And that's not a criticism. Lindsay was where she needed to be. She was in the hospital with our sick mm-hmm. baby. Um, and um, she, that that's, where, that's exactly where she should have been. But at the same time, young children need their mother. I did the best I could. Uh, a lot of my time was spent with the other three children. And uh, I learned a lot about them and about me. And so that was good. Um, but I think it was there, that was hard for them. That was a hard month for my kids. Um, so I'm glad that they're home and they're with mom and that life's returning to something resembling normal.
0: Praise God, man. Well, I'm happy for you guys. And I, and I know the whole audience, everybody that watches Bible and banter and all the people that know you and Lindsay and your kids They're uh, everybody's grateful that um, the Lord has seen you through and brought healing, and you guys are back together as one happy family now.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I was very thankful that we were able to be down there in Charlotte together, but obviously when Lindsay's spending six to nine hours a day in the hospital, and then toward the end, she was actually – she was staying there with with the baby 24 hours a day. So Must have been exhausting. (sighs) She is – I don't understand – yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think I could have done what she did over the past month. May, maybe I'm wrong and I would have done what I had to do, but uh, I don't know how she did it. Moms are
0: special. I mean, moms mm-hmm. have like this innate sense within themselves. It's part of the part of how God's made them to uh, just care for their kids and be self-sacrificial. Um, what? A massage if, if, what a- if, if Lindsay, if Lindsay is, is um, anything like my wife, Robin, uh, she just, she's probably awesome. And
1: what a, a misogynistic thing to suggest that a woman could have God-given abilities that are different than a man's. How dare you? If that makes me a misogynist, then <laughs> <laughs> I, me I'll, I'll yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if me up
0: If adoring my wife makes me a misogynist, then <laughs> color me a misogynist.
1: <laughs> um, and, and if you guys in the chat have any questions, feel free to, to shout them out. Speaking of misogyny, uh, there were there were some interesting interactions that that we had following the passage of the um, the resolution, and there were some uh, kind of veiled accusations made that we don't need to get into. What we what we wanted to talk about today was something that did come up in some of those conversations after the fact, which which is um. So uh, before I explain what we want to talk about, let's acknowledge something about ourselves and as a result about, the, about this show. Um, we can sometimes come across as know-it-alls. We can sometimes come across as arrogant. Uh, we can sometimes come across as uh, um, you know superior. And you know what? Sometimes maybe that comes across because it's true. Sometimes we are arrogant. Uh, sometimes we are know-it-alls. Sometimes we that we do have take that attitude. And but to uh, I, to your
0: credit, whenever whenever I accuse you of your arrogance, you're usually quite quick to to repent.
1: Well, I, I was going to say I do think th- we, there is a healthy um, there is a healthy <laughs> culture of accountability on this show where whenever we whenever we say something and there's backlash and we look at it and see like yeah that was legitimate. I think. Um, all three of the guys on this show have been pretty quick to eat crow, you know, eat their humble pie and say, yeah, I was wrong. Well, Um, we all should, right? Like one of the things that like, um, you and I have listened to
0: James White in the past and, um, James White is one of the most arrogant people I've ever watched, man. And that's one of the, like, I can't watch. Too much of it. Yeah,
1: and I I don't think I don't think it's limited to James White. I think of a guy like John MacArthur. Like there are probably yeah. a lot of names that we could drop. Um, I don't yeah. know that we it's need common, to do that. It's
0: common within it's common within theological circles, pastoral circles. Um, it's it's it, it arrogance is a common um sin that many of us struggle with. Yeah, and well look
1: one another to be able to call it out. Yeah, look the the central sin of all humanity is pride. Um, mm-hmm. ours just happens to take the form sometimes of intellectual arrogance because of our training and our, our experience. Um, mm-hmm. oh, now, so that's the concession. Sometimes that's the case. With that said, um, you will never hear us apologize for defending biblical truth. And one of the interesting things that came up in some of these conversations was um, discussions about the line between humility and and relativism. Mm-hmm. And so let me explain what I mean by that. And then I'll let Eric sort of launch uh, the difference between humility and relativism. So I think all of us, when we, when we come together to talk about truth, should have a healthy dose of humility, which is basically if I were to summon up the attitude that I could be wrong, right? Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a willingness to say the person who disagrees with me Is worth hearing because what if they're right? Mm -hmm. I think we need a healthy dose of that anytime that we are coming together to talk about truth. That attitude of humility can be, uh, what's the term, co opted or misappropriated um, uh, into relativism, which is the, which would, if I were to sum up the attitude of relativism, it would be this. I could be wrong. Therefore I won't say anything with confidence because Mm. what if I'm wrong? Right. Mm. Um, What kind of way to live life is that?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) I'm not going to say anything about anything.
1: The funny thing is most people who use that argument don't actually practice it themselves. Right. They, Mm. they, they say relativism for thee, but not for me. Um, Mm. And, and, no one actually can live in a relativistic attitude because you have to make choices every day, and that requires you to make judgments. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only the only way to live relativistically w- would be to you know sit here in this chair and never move or speak because what if I'm wrong? Um, mm-hmm. Which is the way that some people live. Very you know sadly, uh, it's not the way that Christians are called to live. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all that to say, we'd like to spend a little bit of time today with as much humility as we can muster, but also with a confident. Uh, assertion of biblical truth. uh, Where is the place for humility and where is the place for confident proclamation? How do we exercise humility without falling into relativism? That's
0: a tough one. That's a tough one, Luke. And it's probably tough for you and I too, uh, because sometimes we can, I think at least for me, like I'll always, I, I, One of my, one of the lines that I use, I would say fairly often, my wife, if she's watching, will know this, is that um, I'll say, hey, everybody has a right to be wrong, right? (laughs) Everybody has the right to be wrong. (laughs) And you can, you can suspend that right and just believe what I'm telling you. Um, (laughs) So... Uh, but it is true. Like everybody does have the right to be wrong, including myself and including you, Luke. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to have a healthy dose of humility. Like you said, to say, what are the things that I'm least confident in? Mm -hmm. And, and in those things show the greatest amount of humility, the things that you're most confident in is the confidence that you have. Why is it right? Mm -hmm. So why do you have confidence in this? Do you have confidence that Jesus is the only way to God, the only way for salvation? Mm -hmm. That's something that we should absolutely be confident in. But why is it just because you've been taught that culturally or is it or is there another reason? Do you get that from the scriptures? Have you read John 14, right? Like, Mm -hmm. is that where you find that and go, well, I believe the word of God. Why do I believe the word of God? Well, actually there's a healthy amount of evidence that shows the word of God to be consistent and true. We have all these and and you go go, and you have all this evidence to say, I have Mm -hmm. confidence in the word of God. This is what the the word of God is clear on this thing. Therefore, I have a great deal of confidence in it. However, however that confidence can turn into arrogance often in the way we communicate it right Mm -hmm. so we can be arrogant in the sense that um that when we're having a conversation with someone who is a muslim a jew uh, an atheist somebody who who's from a different religious background um we might say we might just tell people like straight up listen you're going to hell right like like and and people have different approaches to doing evangelism. That's Mm -hmm. not my approach. Um, Maybe that approach works for some people. So I don't want to denigrate it all that much, but, but we have to be careful in the way we communicate the gospel to people, because what we're trying to do is be winsome, right? We're trying to see them know Christ. And oftentimes our tone says more about what we're saying than the
1: actual words we use but but let me fire back because what you're talking about is absolutely true but there's also a counterbalance point I want to make right mm-hmm. we can be as winsome and gentle and considerate as we as possible with God's help and the gospel will still be offensive and mm-hmm. not just oh, yeah. the gospel right and not just the gospel but all kinds of things that the bible teaches Will right. be offensive, right? Uh, so,
0: like, and- I tell people when I've preached before and I've offended people, like, I'm, I'm like, listen, hey, if I, if I offend you, let it be with the gospel and not the mm-hmm. words that I've said, right? Yes. So, like, let it not be because I accidentally said a cuss word or like I'm still like I've only been in the like, in culture and culture or Christian culture for like ten, a little over ten years, mm-hmm. so like, there are things that are offensive within Christian culture that I just don't understand. I haven't grasped yet. So like I've said stupid, oh, I say stupid all the time um, in sermons mm-hmm. or something like that. And then like I get the gentle reminder from my wife, you're an idiot. Stop saying stupid, <laughs> right? Like, like these kids are learning in school not to say stupid. Don't say that word. But if if, so, so in the parents of my congregation are more than gracious. I mean, like um, they'll, they'll give me a hard time in the best possible way and say, Oh man, my kid, once we got home, you, you aren't, the one thing they remember from the sermon is that uh, they heard a bad word from the pastor and it was stupid. (laughs) So, so I don't want kids or families to be offended by the terms that I use. Uh, but I do want them to be offended by the gospel. I'm offended by the gospel all the time, mm-hmm. um, and and we should be offended whenever we come to the text of Scripture and realize how debased we really, truly are, and then we we are we stand in awe of the gracious and goodness and the holiness of God that we're now rescued by the work of Christ. So. That's incredibly important for us to understand that we should offend people with the gospel because the gospel is offensive, but we shouldn't offend people because of our arrogance. Right. Now,
1: this is where in order to um, continue this discussion, we're going to have to sort of go a step deeper or a step further, because I think most of the people, I, I won't assume all, but I think most of the people who disagreed with the resolution would agree with you on what you said so far. That the gospel is offensive and that we shouldn't try to protect people from the gospel just because it might offend, right? Mm -hmm. However, I think some of those people feel like that's the only place that we should draw a clear line. And so maybe it would be of some value to talk for a few minutes about why we think the church should have something to say beyond the gospel. Not in place of and not above, but in addition to um, and let me speak for just a moment on why I think we should and then I'll let you chime in. So one thing that I'm learning the more I study the Bible is that <clears throat> while the gospel message is simple, gospel application is hugely complex and I, mm. I don't mean complex in terms of I can't it, it can't be understood or practiced I mean the gospel touches everything so, mm. The simple message of He came, He lived, He died, He rose, and He's coming again. Absolutely, that should be the heart of everything that we are preaching and everything that we're doing as a church. That does not mean, however, that that should be the end of everything that we're saying and doing as the church. Um, this is why Paul exhorted Timothy preach the whole counsel of God. We don't just go to uh, John 3.16 or Romans 8.1 and then say that's all we need. No, we have all the other chapters of John and Romans and Deuteronomy and Leviticus, right? So the gospel should be central and it everything else should flow out from that. Um, but it's it's not the sum in total, not in the sense that it doesn't cover all the ground, it does. But the way we apply the gospel, that's why we have basically most of the New Testament, right? Paul mm. could have very easily, when he wrote um, the book of Romans, just stopped at the end of chapter 11, which which is, um, I think, a good, a good place to sort of put a period or, or an ending point on his explanation of what the gospel is. But he didn't stop. He then gave us 12, 13, 14, 15, where he tells us, how to apply the gospel in all sorts of different ways in life. And you could say this with any other of Paul's letters where he starts by explaining, here's what the gospel is, but he doesn't stop there. He then says, here's what it means for all these different areas of life. Right. Well, it's, so, it's like the gospels, the gospels are, are telling you how you've entered
0: the kingdom and the rest of the new Testament is teaching you how to live in the kingdom.
1: Mm-hmm,
0: right. Mm-hmm. So one is teaching is, is showing you, who Christ is what he's done and is doing and the rest is showing you how to live in light of that radical grace. Right. Um and and then now in light of that, okay, Jesus has ha- Jesus has rescued me according to his grace outside of any work that I have done. He's fully mm-hmm. accomplished it. This is radical grace, right? Yeah. He humiliated himself. He humbled himself to the point of taking on flesh. So what does that mean for me as a believer? It now calls me to be radically gracious towards other people. It causes me to be humble towards other people. If the king of kings can take on the flesh of a servant, what more so should a servant like myself rescued by the king live in light of that? Mm -hmm. So... So that's that's kind of how we start applying the gospel, and we look at even the Old Testament in light in light of the gospel. Like I'm, I'm preaching on uh, 2 Samuel uh, chapter chapter nine, and it's uh, the story of Mephibosheth, mm-hmm. and um, and David bringing Mephibosheth into the kingdom, the king's court. Mm-hmm. and really mephibosheth for those of you who don't know was the grandson of Saul he's the son of jonathan and jonathan was was close friends like as close of a friendship as you can have with mm-hmm. david and David and Jonathan made a covenant with one another. And Jonathan asked David, you know, care when I die. He knew he was going to die. Jonathan did. And he knew that David was going to, he know, he knows that God has, has anointed him through Samuel. So he calls, he asks David, care for those who would come after me that come from my line. Don't let them extinguish. And that's exactly what David does. And that mm-hmm. was completely different than anything else done in the Near East. So, um, Mike, Alex asking, are you sure they weren't closer f- than
1: friends? Uh, yes, Mike, I do know that Mike, Mike, if, if you start to make suggestions about, uh, uh, you know what with David and, uh, uh, Jonathan, please know that your spot on this show is not permanent. My friend, you need to no, watch. We, your don't, step. we don't allow, you watch your step.
0: We don't allow liberal scholars on the show.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so um, much for humility. <laughs> We won't talk to the liberals. We will talk well, you have to the liberals. To, you, you have to believe in the
1: in the authority of Scripture to be on this show. For the record, in, in the- for the record, I, I maybe Eric feels differently. I would bring on a liberal scholar. I would just uh, I, I would not soften any of of my convictions in order to allow him on the show. He'd have to put up with um, some pretty strong words from me.
0: That's fair. We'll we'll talk about that.
1: I do like engaging in some liberal commentary.
0: And again, liberal—we're not talking liberal policies, Um, liberal politics. Like that doesn't even come into play in the first century, or or in the like they don't think along the political lines that we do. Right. Um, When when
1: Eric says liberal, he is talking about theological liberalism, not political liberalism.
0: Right. And theological liberalism rejects the authority of scripture, the inerrancy of scripture, rejects the miracles of the scriptures. Um, Anyway. So, so back to, to 2 Samuel um, 9. So in this, in this covenant, he's now realizing the covenant 15 years after Jonathan had died. He brings Mephibosheth in. And we see in David this radical humility and love and, and the fulfillment of this covenant promise. And what does this point to, Luke? What does it point to? Uh, the grace of God through Jesus Christ? Boom. Boom. The covenant in which we have
1: been adopted into, man, man. Glenn's, Glenn says he would pay money to hear us talk to a liberal professor. So I'll let you reach out to other liberal Bible scholars you know. Uh, <laughs> I'll
0: tell you this. Most of them are smarter than you and I.
1: <laughs> like, let's put it like
0: they're um, – or at least they come across that way. But so, just
1: because you're smart doesn't mean you're right. So it's interesting that you bring that up, Eric, because I think that's actually related to this conversation um, about humility versus relativism. Um, I think it's important that when when we talk about the truth of God's word, that we are we are leveraging the authority of God, not our own intelligence. Because I think that's mm-hmm. another thing that um, it can another trap that can be easy to fall into. Uh, it's it, it's very easy and very dangerous to say I must be right because I'm the smartest guy in the room, right? Mm-hmm. And this is something that uh, the world absolutely swallow hook, line, and sinker, right? We hear this. Uh, Y'all are more confident or more arrogant or something.
0: <laughs> I, I hope I hope before I die I get to meet Glenn. Glenn might be one of my favorite. Like he's on, his his. Yeah, I love you. Glenn. You
1: and you and Glenn would have a good time. Uh, you, you, you and he would, need to produce some more music videos. You know what? Uh, we're I've got some ideas circling around. I need to try to get things settled here again. Your and then two voices, your two voices. I don't know what the the
0: the, the musical term is, but when you guys blend. sing together and like there's this the synchronization
1: that happens, dude, it it, it moves my bones. It yeah, moves that, me. That that's called blend because you can um, okay. you, you can have two really good singers sing together mm-hmm. and it doesn't work, not because they're doing anything wrong, but because they don't blend. Um, our voices blend really easily and naturally. So,
0: it's, and I'm not even giving you a heart. Like it, it, when I heard that video, and I forget what the song was, but this was like last year, and I oh heard it, God. I was like, "Ooh, oh, <laughs> I, I think I got saved in the middle of that song, man." Like I, like it was, it moved my soul. You guys yeah. are beautiful voices. I mean, it was just, it was phenomenal. So, thank you for for sharing that
1: gift. To, you know, you and Glenn. Well, we'll we'll share it again soon, Glenn. If you're listening, I gotta I gotta get some. Uh, I gotta chase down some of these rabbits that I've been letting go for the past month or two. Um, but once I've got everything settled, he'll be hearing from me. You guys um, could like sing a nice blues tune together. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I at some point I'd really like to do "Precious Lord, Take My Hand" with him. I think I think we would. I have no idea what that blow is. the roof off. Uh, have you I, have you ever heard the song "Bury the Workman"? Bury the what? Bury the workman bury the workman no i never heard it
0: oh you got you guys would sing that really well together bury
1: the workman i'll check it out i'll check yeah. it out where were we oh man see you can tell eric and i haven't done this in a while because we're going here there and everywhere welcome to bible and banter this is how it goes uh oh hang on just a sec i'm gonna close my uh my office door someone just walked in i don't need to talk to them but i forgot to close my door okay, okay
0: and apparently turn off his his phone. <laughs> um, so so yeah I forget where we're talking about I do want to bring up um Josh had Josh Rice had had a great great observation he says I think this is especially talking about arrogance this is especially true of younger newer pastors but we but we resist letting the truth sit, marinate and have effect on our people and often undo some of its efficacy by apologizing, softening it. I think, you know, Josh, I think it probably goes um, two ways, right? So, so young pastors, newer pastors can be arrogant in that they have too much confidence in their own abilities. And um, like we experience this a lot, in you know when guys come out guys come out of seminary or bible college and they think they know everything and they think that if you don't align with them perfectly theologically that um you know bam you're wrong right and and sometimes you know i think oftentimes when we are doing theology rightly we are growing in our theology, we're growing in our understanding, we're growing in, in in testing our beliefs based on the scriptures and their and their logical conclusions. But on the other sense, I also appreciate what you have to say, Josh, in that um, there are times that we're trying to show humility that maybe we step on someone's toes and instead of leaning into that and saying, well why does this step on your toes? understand it's not me who's stepping on your toes. But if you're rightly applying the word of God through your preaching and teaching, then inevitably people in your congregation are gonna have their toes stepped on. They're gonna feel, they're gonna come to grips or face the their their depravity in their own life and 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 stand in the face of God's righteousness and holiness and go, wow. And then as they stand in that awe, be in awe of the grace and work of Christ, knowing that he has redeemed them, um, for his glory and for their good. So at times, although it's good to um, apologize or soften some things, um, you should, you should do that as you test it against scripture Um, and maybe ask the question, did I say, did I need to say this that way to have that kind of effect? Are they offended by the way I said something or is it, um, or is it because of the very word itself that they are offended?
1: So there we go. Luke, now, now you can take back over. Dude, I, I closed my door and then someone knocked on it. I couldn't escape. <laughs> there was no way to get away from it. <laughs> uh, it's okay. We forgive you. I appreciate I appreciate the grace. Uh, what were we talking about? Oh, uh, humility versus relativism. And yes, uh, I'd like to talk for just a little bit. I want to narrow it down even a little bit more. So we've talked about um, the gospel. We've talked about application. Let's talk for just a moment about this particular issue of the sanctity of life. And why, okay. is, this, why is this something that we should make a stink over? Um, because it's, it's very politically uh, – what's the term for something that flares up really easily – Incendiary, politically charged, politically charged. That's even better. It's very highly politically charged. Um, it's very offensive to take the sort of stand that we did. It's not per se directly the gospel, though I think we've established that all Christian life and faith flows from the gospel, but, uh, you know, it's not, he came, he lived, he rose, or he died, he rose. Um, Well, the image of the image of God
0: is inherent in the gospel. Right. right, and that's what we're talking about—the sanctity of human life. We're talking about, and and that's not just abortion. Like abortion is a small piece of the pie. There are mm-hmm. other things going on in the world, and have ever since ever since ever since the world began, where right. people were have been prejudiced against, where people have been mistreated, and and we see time and again that that Jesus speaks into the spaces of of the disenfranchised. So. Yes. Um, and, and when we use that term we're referring to people who um who have been objectified and people whose dignity have has been questioned or denigrated so you know i, I think it's almost like when we talk about these things um many in the very conservative circle will be like oh well you've just gone woke right like and mm-hmm. and, and that's troublesome that's troublesome that we automatically go to some sort of trite response and write people off um, with a term that 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 they're not even um, uh, uh, what's they're not even saying what the meaning of what they mean by that term and right. and I've seen a lot of brothers and sisters um, especially on on the Twitter that will just write someone off as hashtag or quote unquote woke mm-hmm. and not engage with their, th- what they're, what they're trying to say. So as soon as you talk about racial injustice or oppression or anything like that, they'll go, well, you've just gone liberal. Right, right. No, 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 no. Like, l- listen, let's speak into with the gospel, mm-hmm. um, the problems that we see and that begins at conception. So and it ends, it, it, it even goes past the tomb. Right. So even the ways that we speak about people after they've mm-hmm. long been dead, um, we should respect that they have been made in the image of God. Full stop. No right. qualification.
1: Yeah. Uh, and there, there's something else too that I think needs to be touched on, which is how do I say this when it comes to this particular issue? Um, I think it's difficult to make a biblical case against it, right? Because there are, there are some biblical issues where I think we need to have the humility to say it's difficult to say. It's difficult to interpret. It's difficult to come to a hard, fast conclusion. Not that someone can't, but look, there's some things that we hold tight-fisted, and then there's some things that we hold with open hands where we say, okay, I believe this, but it's not, it's not a deal breaker. Um, This is a deal breaker, which is not to say that uh, if you disagree that I, I have to be unkind to you or that we can't, you know, go out and have lunch together or something. But this is something that is taught so clearly throughout the scriptures. It's not an issue of we have one or two proof texts, Um, the, it's baked into the cake of Christian belief. Um, and I'm not trying to make a political statement here of you need to vote for this party or this candidate or this policy, but just this idea of the sanctity of life. Um, it's baked into the cake of Christian belief. If you take Christian belief from the teaching of scripture. Uh, now I want to acknowledge something you said a moment ago though, Eric, that I think does speak really clearly to what I think is a healthy humility, not a relativism of who knows, but a a humility that says, I know what's right, but I'm willing to listen. What you said a moment ago about writing someone off with a label, I think one thing that some of these conversations after the passing of this resolution have reminded me is that everyone has reasons for what they believe. Mm-hmm. So the people who um, disagree, I think they're wrong, and I'm not. Af- I'm not afraid to say so. But I was reminded a- a- as I saw some of those discussions. Okay, even if I think these people are wrong, it, it it's not because they're all idiots. It's not because they're all morons. It's not because they haven't thought about it. It's not because they haven't read their Bible. Um, they have reasons why they've come to the conclusions they do, and. If you really want to have dialogue with someone who disagrees with you, I think you have to have the humility to acknowledge that maybe, uh, even if you think they're wrong, they, their conclusion is reasonable, not correct, but reasonable um, and, and should be they should be heard, right? Mm-hmm. That, I think, is a healthy humility as opposed to a humility that would say, well, they disagree. They could be right. Who knows? I guess I just won't take a stand on anything.
0: Yeah. Well, well what's the quote? I don't know who said it, but if, if, if you don't stand for anything, you'll fall for anything or something like that. If you right. stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything,
1: I think is the mm-hmm. quote. I don't know who said that. Um well, well, that that goes back to something I was trying to say earlier, though, which is that most people who preach relativism end up falling into some kind of dogmatism. It's just not uh, the kind that they're preaching against. So a lot of people who will speak to a fundamentalist like you and I, I don't know if you would call yourself that label, but I would. I mm-hmm. consider myself a fundamentalist. I believe that the Bible is actually the word of God. Um, and i I believe that what it says is actually authoritative and binding. That's how I define it. Some people might have different definitions. Um, well, but, I think we can talk about that at a different time, but based so, on my knowledge of you, you
0: you would not fit the bill of what is considered, at least in our circles, fundamentalist.
1: So I'll use, I'll use a different term. Um, I believe that the Bible, the, the Bible is the word of God in the traditionally understood sense that the Orthodox Church has used that term basically forever. Uh, so, oh gosh, where was it? Where was I going with that? So, if you if you take that view, oh my goodness, I've lost it. I've lost my train of thought. I took too long to say what I was saying.
0: Well, I'll. Uh... <sighs> Traditionalist is what Mark Mark suggests as a term. You know, you when go. I think when I think of fundamentalism, I think of and fundamentalism can apply to different aspects, but it's normal, at least what I've observed and how other people have spoken about it, is that it's often an approach to something, uh, a, 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 your tone about something. So like, like for me, I know a few things that like I just won't engage people on because I've not had fruitful conversations and I didn't see room or space for it. And and it's largely like the King James only fundamentalists. So I'm not talking about people who use the King James Version. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the people who believe that the King James Version is is, uh, the only inspired translation of the English text. And and think of it as inspired as the original manuscripts. Um, Yeah. Or, uh, or, even,
1: or even more inspired. In more, ins- more inspired. Yeah, More
0: inspired that God actually gave the exact words to give yeah. to the original translators of the King James Version. I go and I've had conversations with people that believe that. And I've thought, I'm getting, no- like, there's no even, there's no room to have any kind of conversation. So like those people I just don't engage with for my own mental health. Like, so, I just
1: can't, I just can't deal with it. So help me help me find a new term. What what term would you use for someone who takes a traditional view of the authority of Scripture? Uh, well, we used to use the term evangelical,
0: but that's been co opted. Yeah, that's gone. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I think, I think the sarcastic answer would be Christian, but that'd be a little bit mean spirited. Yeah, I like Ta or uh,
0: excuse me, Mark says traditionalist. Uh, you know, I don't think that's a bad term. Okay, we're gonna have to create a new term because the the idea. The, the evangelical subculture has been co-opted for political purposes, which has really damaged, I think, our witness. Mm-hmm. Because um, because really, if we are staying true to scripture, we have no political home. We just don't. I mean, you and I refer to ourselves as libertarians, but there are yes. even things within the libertarian framework where we go, yeah, I can't roll with that. I can't, like... Right, right. Well, what's because it's because for
1: us, at least... Um, at our best with God's help. For us, the overarching authority is the scripture. So there might be other philosophies or systems of um, belief to which we subscribe, but they're subservient to scripture and where they contradict it, we throw them out. So I guess I'll make up a word here. I'm going to call myself a scripturalist. You're a scripturalist. Scripture is the highest authority for us in terms of faith and practice.
0: Catherine's uh, got some Catherine's. Got,
1: I like Catherine. <laughs> Orthodox. Throwing some shade. Orthodox? I wasn't sound. gonna go that out. Let the record show the Bible and banter guys are not the ones who made who started throwing around these uh terms I'm, I'm today. with Catherine right Who's now. Catherine. The the Orthodox, make that point biblically though. sound, Christian, um, you know. Let me, make, let me make my point, and then I'm going to let you close the show, okay? Because okay. we're coming up on an hour. Um, here's the point I was going to make. Most people who look at, um, who talk to someone like you and I, who believe in the authority and inspiration of Scripture, seriously, um, and say, you're being arrogant, you don't actually know, um, you should have more humility. Most of the people who do that, have a belief system of their own. Mm-hmm. They're not actually consistent relativists who say you can't know because no one can know. What they actually say is you can't know because no one can know but I know. Right? And that's what we have to be in trouble following
0: along here, man. Remember, okay. I
1: listen, I was
0: towards the bottom of my class graduating high school and you were were you what number were you? You were number five. Uh, I, I was number somewhere the, I was somewhere in the top hundred. So the, you were you were number one? What do we call that? I'm sorry, I wouldn't know because I, I didn't graduate
1: there. Let let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Valedictorian. Um, that's the one.
0: Valedictorian.
1: So there's there's a great series of debates from about 10 years ago between Doug Wilson and Christopher Hitchens. Uh, Doug Wilson come, come on, man. Why are we studying
0: Doug Wills, man? I'm so tired of that guy.
1: Can I just make my point,
0: dude? He legit—he just wrote a novel about sex robots. Like, can we just write? Can like, can we hashtag cancel Doug Wilson?
1: Or is that too arrogant? On me? Yeah, well, we'll have to save this episode for another day because you and I are going to disagree about Doug Wilson. Um, Doug Wilson, who love him or hate him, uh, he in this particular debate was representing the Christian faith, and then Christopher Hitchen, Hitchens, Hitchens, very well-known atheist. Okay, so they're having this um, discussion about. God, and morality, right? And the consistent atheist position, um, and I know some atheists who are consistent, and I'll give them credit when they are, the consistent atheist position would actually say, there is no objective moral standard, right? Right. All we have is is subjective standards that each culture and each person comes up with, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So in this debate, uh, Hitchens is making the atheist argument. And then he, he starts to do what a lot of atheists love to do and to um, say all sorts of horrible things about the God of the Bible. And Doug Wilson, in a really uh, at his best, stopped him and said, wait a second, let me get this straight. You think there's no objective moral standard except when you want to criticize um, things that you don't like, right? So that's a great example of someone who says there's no objective moral standard and then begins to make objective moral statements. Right. The point I'm trying to make is most people who say, if you claim confidently to know what the Bible teaches, you're being arrogant. They believe something else with just as much confidence. They just don't like that. You disagree with them. And, but it can to- be arrogance.
0: There can like, let's, let's refer- Look, there can be times that, that, that people are arrogant about their beliefs, mm-hmm. right? Like there, there are, sure.
1: yeah. Okay. I just want it. I just want you to admit that. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Um, Bigford's going to try to get me off of the Doug Wilson train. Good luck. The, but there have been there have been things that Doug
0: Wilson have has said and written that I go, yeah, I, I'm down with that. Like he makes good points. But then there's a whole mess of stuff that you get with Doug Wills, and you go, Well, let's, oh, let's man, this
1: isn't worth I don't want to be tainted by this. Like let's let's crazy. not let's not go let's not go off the tracks. I've only got an hour and we got to finish. And I want you to have the last word. So let me just summarize what I just said. And, and I hopefully it's a nice, neat little bow before you put an even better one on it. We should have the humility to listen to those who disagree with us, right? But humility does not mean um, throwing out truth. And we can know truth because uh, God has revealed it. And when P- if someone should ever, if you're a Christian and you um, stand up for the gospel, stand up for the Bible, and someone says to you, by making... Uh, Absolute truth claims you're being arrogant. That is um, not a way to have discussion. They're just trying to shut you up. We should talk to people who disagree with us and are willing to have discussion, debate, dialogue, disagreement. Uh, People who want to say that any absolute truth claim uh, is arrogance, you can't have a conversation with that person because they're applying a double standard. You can't make... Uh, clear moral claims they can that's not a a discussion that you can ever be productive so the difference between humility and relativism it's a hard line to to identify but it is there and it's important that we draw it that's that's my conclusion that's good luke and i will end with this
0: i am it is absolutely true that it's great to have you back on the program
1: I accept your uh, your I accept your truth with as much relativistic value as I can possibly assign it.
0: There are moments I want to punch you in the face.
1: <laughs> no, that's absolutely true. <laughs>
0: this is one of Take care, guys. We love you. We will see you next week. Hopefully, unless Luke or Mike come up with like some great idea about what we should what we need to talk about next week, hopefully we'll
1: start studying. Uh, Philippians. It'll either be Philippians or Doug Wilson or Tattoos. Hopefully Philippians. (laughs) Why not all three? (laughs) Take care, everybody.